ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested in specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of the To The Point Podcast. My name is Jackie Garlick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell. And we are thrilled today to be talking to, honestly, one of the nicest guys and also one of the most knowledgeable people in the scleral lens world, Dr. Anith Pillai. So Dr. Pillai received his optometry degree from the Houston College of Optometry, and he graduated with the Beta Sigma Kappa Honor Society. He is the co-owner of Evolutionary Eye Care in Sugarland, Texas, and he specializes in anterior segment disease, including keratoconus, corneal degenerations and dystrophies, ocular surface disease, scleral lenses, and specialty contacts and myopia management. Dr. Pillai has earned his fellowship in the International Academy of Orthokeratology and Myopia Control and the Scleral Lens Education Society. He's an active member of the AOA, the Texas Optometric Association, and serves as president of the Harris County Optometric Association. Please welcome Dr. Pillai. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for ha- uh, having me. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that, that we never met in person. I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> we, we have to met a hundred times. But yeah, yeah, it was all through uh, social media interactions. But finally, excited to uh, be on this podcast with you and see you at least virtually. And, and- well, we are so excited um, to you know get some chance to pick your brain because we see all of all of the exciting things that you are doing with contact lenses from the social world. Um, so you know we're really excited to kind of pick your brain and see your perspective on where um, scleral lenses fit with your dry eye patients, especially and you know, tips and tricks that you offer um, when things maybe don't go as planned. Well, I always say you got to be careful picking this brain. You may not know, you may not like what you get. <laughs> <laughs> well, so on, on a personal front, I had reached out to you recently because um, and I was, I was telling you this before that I had done scleral lenses. I fit scleral lenses when I was working at, in a different state and I never brought them to my practice. And I do remember there, you know, being some hiccups on the billing front, um, when I was, you know, working at this other office. And so now that I'm bringing it back into my practice, I reached out to you like, Hey, I have a question about that. So I do want to talk about billing and just general scleral lens things because billing is an important part. But before we even kind of get to that, I want to hear how you even got started fitting scleral lenses because it really is a, a real skill to fit scleral lenses. And I never realized that when I was a student and I kind of thought like, oh my gosh, it's just a contact lens. Like how difficult is this? It actually is pretty complex to fit a scleral lens and there is a lot of skill involved. So how did you even get interested in, in starting with scleral lenses? Yeah, you know, uh, when I graduated, I uh, didn't have any experience with scleral lenses. I think I had one patient in my contact lens clinic that randomly came in with a scleral lens. Nobody knew what it was. None of my colleagues or none of, my, none of the students that were there. I remember my attending doctor was like, I, I don't know, you know. Go talk to Craig Norman. I went to uh, University of Houston College of Optometry. And it was a uh, old Jupiter lens. I mean, couldn't do the things that we do now. But I, I remember seeing it. I was like, wait, wait, putting saline in it? And how big is that lens? And what's it doing? Like, it was completely foreign. We really didn't know. And then probably by that last semester when I graduated, scleral lenses became a little bit more sexy. People kind of knew about it. 
But as I went into my first year of practice, uh, I did not think I was going to do anything with special contacts. It was kind of thrown into me. I practiced in a very rural town in, in, um, in Uvalde, actually, which is uh, close to San Antonio. A lot of high sale, a lot of keratoconus. And the doctor that was there was doing a lot of RGPs, coronal RGPs. And he said, hey, do you want to you know, see a lot of these patients? And I was like, I don't know. That wasn't my thing in school. I, I, I didn't like doing RGPs. And I was like, all right, I guess if I see him, I don't know. And he's like, well, you know what? If you see him, you can send him mine. And uh, well, I had a lot of downtime as a new associate. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn about it. So I just watched webinar after webinar, went to conferences, and then learning about corneal RGPs. And then as Clara Lenses came about, I eventually went to a, another practice in ophthalmology and optometry practice. And that was a big need where they needed doctors to do these things take care of keratoconus patients that were not successful in other modalities. I learned from some of the doctors that were there, and that's where I got my feet. And then when I was opening up my private practice, I knew that was what I wanted. I wanted especially contacts, whether it was glitter lenses, RGPs, hybrids, sports, okay, et cetera. Front of the eye stuff was going to be my jam. And my partner, who I opened it up with, was going to do all the stuff that I hated, which is vision therapy and low vision. So we, we, we had our little niche, right? And I went to all the conferences I could and just learned and learned. And really the biggest thing that changed was uh, I just had to do it. I had to do it myself and getting patients in and learning mistakes. But I think what helped me know that that's what I wanted to do was when I had those first couple successful patients where they were like, thank you for this. Like I finally see like you, you went through this with me like you went through the 20 visits where looking back i probably could have done it in three back you know five going back five years i probably could have done it quicker but i took the time and and you know it helped me it helped them and that that experience of what you could do for a patient that really had no other opportunity of getting the vision they wanted the comfort they wanted that's where it was a game changer I had a very similar experience with square lenses and I actually really, I feel like our stories are very similar. I disliked um, specialty lenses. I just was like, oh, they're so cumbersome and like nobody knows how to do an INR for these. And like um, I had a patient where I just a similar case where she was, she actually had a lot of corneal um, issues from a car accident that she had. And so this was bilateral. She had, she had uh, bilateral ruptured globes and suffered all this corneal scarring and her regular cornea. And I put a scleral lens on her and she, she went from 2200 vision to 2025 vision. I mean, it totally changed. She was monocular at this point. So, so her one eye was blind. And I totally, I remember sitting in the exam room and I was crying with the mom who was crying and the daughter's crying like, oh my God, this is like so insane. So I feel like th this podcast is not about me, but I feel like I had a very similar situation to you where, um, you know, it's, it takes that one, that one case where you're like, oh my gosh, these scleral lenses are really amazing. Well, it's interesting that you say that because that's where I would think you kind of are hooked, if you will, is that reaction of the vision um, for patients that have all these corneal distortions and haven't been able to see. But I feel like the dry eye patient is definitely a different person because they can see better. And so I wonder, you know, since you're doing a lot of these fits, do you see a difference in you know, how challenging it is to fit a, a keratoconic patient versus a dry eye patient, or you see them as the same? 
no, I do not see them the same. And there is a difference. Uh, there's a, a definite wow factor initially for that keratoconus patient, especially if they were referred and they never were wearing anything else. Like you do get that immediate gratification, I guess, of getting them, gosh, you couldn't even drive. Now I can get you to drive, pass the driver's license test, and you can read the bottom line. But the dry patient is tough because they've dealt with so many other things. And the scleral lens may not be the end-all be-all, but it can help them dramatically. And it's not something they'll get on day one. They, they might get it at week two, you know, two months, three months. It might take a little while to get them there. But you know, it depends on what their, what their goals are. If they're saying, hey, I am tired of being my glasses and dealing with these drops and putting them in 10 times a day and I don't, I don't want to wear my Spectacle RX. And then you give them an option where, all right, you get your freedom being back in a contact lens. I'll be at a different modality, but in a contact lens where you're not wearing a frame on your face and you're not wearing, you're not using drops eight times a day. That may not be immediate, but at that two to three months, they'll realize this was a solution for me. So it's, it's a little bit more delayed. It takes a little bit more time um, because their vision is probably good before. So I, I, it's always a little bit, it's a little bit tougher for those dry patients because there's so much more that goes into it because they're not likely stopping other regimens, right? Unlike like with keratoconus patients where I've worn glasses that gave me 2200 vision. And I put you in a lens and you're 2025 that day. It's not that same kind of response. But what I will, what I have found is that once you get them past that one month or two months, then the rest of the lives have changed. That's when they realize, you know, I'm not dealing with the things I've dealt with for the last 10 years. Like my eyes feel comfortable. And you, you really have to pound on them to compare what it was like before and after. Because it's easy to like forget their symptoms before they came to you and then after. So if you really talk to them like, hey, how many times are you using drops before? Oh, I was using it 12 times. How many times are you using it now? Maybe once. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. You're using drops 10, 12 times a day for 10 years, and now you're barely using them, and you can wear contacts for the first time in your life, and you have that freedom. I think uh, that it, it's a different mentality of how you present it for patient management, and it's, it is a little bit more delayed. I, I was wondering where in this uh, dry eye patient's path are you talking about scleral lenses as a treatment for them? So usually these patients are coming to me referred. So they've been through the gamut through their other um, eye care provider. So this is kind of the next step. They're coming to me specifically. So they've been on you know, all the topical RX therapies, pulse steroids, autologous serum, multiple amniotic membranes, whatever, whatever it is. And now they're saying, hey, let's see if this can help. So one thing I look for is what's the initial diagnosis, right? So if they just have a lot of keratitis that hasn't resolved, okay, scleral lenses might be a good option there. And I might get quicker relief, right? Because you're bathing the eye all day long. Probably um, better success rate, and they'll still need some topical therapy. The trickier ones are when it's like a neuropathic. That's a lot of patients where the eyes just feel terrible and they might've been through surgeries, they may have systemic conditions, but they're, you don't really see a lot, but you know something's going wrong, going on on that corneal nerve um, pathway. 
So I, I like to do my preparacane test and see, you know, your eyes feel better after putting a numbing drop in. And if I get some relief, I'm like, all right, there's a chance. And in those patients, it's 50-50 for sure. But at least I'll know initially after that preparacane test what can happen. And that's one that you're going to transform because they can't really survive in the real world without some kind of bandage, some kind of protection. They're so used to just dealing with the environment and having eight, nine, 10 out of pain. If I can even bring that to four out of 10, um, it's going to really transform what they do. Again, I'm still going to have adjunct therapy, but those are ones that are, while very difficult, are out of all the other ones are probably the most, even with like things like um, erosions and filamentary keratitis, there's other therapies that get them there feeling better. But those neuropathic ones are so tough that sometimes that's 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 the end all be all. We need some kind of sophisticated bandage lens like a scleral lens that not only gives them comfort but also gives them a vision that And you said prepare came challenge, right? Yeah. Yes. So maybe to I, I I know that's something that when we're talking about neuropathic pain, it's a good way to know. Um, but maybe talk a little bit about that because it's something that I feel like we don't hear enough about. And so tell me, I mean, you put the drop of preparacane in and re-gauge their symptoms, right? Yeah. So I'll back up a little bit. I, I remember just going through school and even my first couple of years going through lectures, I think neuropathic and neurotrophic was kind of thought of as synonym. And they're really not. They're almost opposites. So just to kind of reiterate, neuropathic pain, if you remember from your time to school days, were kind of the pain without stain, where the neurotrophic was the opposite. A lot of staining, but not a lot of pain. That's a simple way of saying it. But um, the neurotrophic is, you know, HSV, HCO, uh, some traumas, post-surgical. Well, you'll see a bunch of keratitis and you're wondering, why is this patient complaining to me? You know, like what's going on here? Uh, it's because those corneal nerves have been so desensitized. They'd actually they don't feel that pain. So that's when you can go with that cotton whisk or uh, any other type of sensitivity test. And they don't feel that sensation as you would expect. So that's, that's neurotrophic. Cornea looks messed up, but um, they don't feel as bad as they should. Neuropathic is the opposite. Neuropathic is you see that cornea looks almost pristine and they're coming and complaining, doc, I'm miserable. That's the one that's probably tougher to deal with because it's a nerve issue and then you have to decide, is it a peripheral nerve issue or a central nerve issue? And a peripheral nerve issue is where we can be game changers. can really help these patients if it's a predominantly peripheral nerve issue. When it's a central nerve issue is when you have to kind of refer to your pain specialist. And the way that I do it in my clinic, delineate between the two, and it's not a perfect test, but it's a good idea, is put a drop of preparacane in. And preparacane is a very good numbing agent for the cornea, which tells you, you know, when you block the peripheral sensation, how does the patient feel? So I asked them, what's your pain sensation before I put the drop of preparacane in? And let's say it's seven out of 10. And I put a drop in, wait five minutes, whatever, and say, okay, what does it feel like now? And if they're going to, eh, it's probably six and a half, six, I don't know how much of a chance I got. I probably need to refer to a pain specialist. But if I can get at least 50% reduction from that initial symptom after preparacane, then I might have a chance to really help. And that could be a combination of 
on steroids. And for whatever reason, I, I found that Lodomax tends to help um, corneal neuropathy pain a lot more than other steroids. It might be autologous serum. It might be vanished contact lenses. And like I said, it might be scleral lenses. And a lot of times when that happens, it'll be a combination for me, start them on steroids, see how much improvement I can get, get them on a scleral lens. And, uh, and that'll probably be their, their main statement. I do, I do want to ask one other question about, you know, how you're gauging these symptoms because, well, first of all, that was a great explanation. Maybe you should be a professor on the side because I feel like that really is going to come across really great to all of the listeners. So thank you for that. Um, I was going to say what you said at the beginning of, you know, the dry eye patient is different. Um, when they gradually are getting better, they forget where they started. So do you use like a, do you write yourself just notes like that you felt this way at the beginning? These were your goals. I liked how you said like, it depends on their goals or are you using like a validated questionnaire that you have them repeat so you can show them how symptoms are getting better? Um, what's your what's your method that you're using? Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, validated questionnaire. So we use speed in our practice. Um, we use that at every dry evaluation. Um, I do like, because speed is one thing, but I do like to have that goal or maybe the goal that I set, saying, what were you, what was the problem? You're using drops 10 times a day or how many times are you using it now? Uh, you couldn't be on your computer for more than 30 minutes. How long can you do it now? And that's tough because how often do we see patients come in after treatments? Like, how do you feel? Yeah, about the same. But then you see, well, you said you could be on your computer for 30 minutes a day. Now you're on it for four hours. Sometimes you got to tease those things out of them because it's hard for patients to kind of track those things in their daily life over and over. And remember, it might be a year before they realize how life-changing this was, but you're tracking them every two to three months or so. So I do take uh, the objective measurements. I take osmolarity. I do listening staining, fluorescein staining. I do myography on every dry evaluation. I do speed at every time. And I would say in these cases, the biggest things that I look at are staining and speed. Because at the end of the day, that's what we want. As clinicians, we want to know, hey, what does it look like objectively? And what does it look like symptomology? I do think that patients... You know, I've had many patients who um, you have to sort of tease symptoms out. And sometimes you'll say, um, you know, how are you feeling? Or, or my technician will ask them on their chief complaint and they'll say something similar, like about the same. And then I'll come in and I'll look and I'll say, oh my gosh, your cornea looks so good. And they're like, oh, good. I thought I might've been feeling better. You know, sometimes they just need you to also be like, yes, it is better. Or, you know, and just to kind of um, help, <laughs> help tease those symptoms out. Because I do, I do think it is hard to know because it can fluctuate so much day to day. Absolutely. And I, I like to have my staff gauge that also, because sometimes I, I wonder, you know, when you go to the doctor's office, sometimes you might say something different to the doctor than their system or their nerves. So I always like my staff to go in and, and see what their response is. And then it's so funny, sometimes I'll come in, they'll be like, they'll, they'll tell my staff like, oh, I feel about the same. I'll come in like, no doc, what you did was great. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, let, let's see what's really, really going on. Yeah, um, yeah. But I like to have, that's why I like to have those set goals of whether it's drops, how many screen time, um, how much you can tolerate contact lenses, those as things that also go with, coincide with speed score and everything. When you think back to, I'm just thinking about a listener who may be wanting to implement scleral lenses into their practice. When you think back of when you start first started fitting sclerals, 
what are some things that you wish you knew then that you know now, whether that is bringing sclerals into your practice, educational resources, fitting tips? What do you, what do you have? Well, I wish ICSC was around. That would have been great. Uh, it's a great conference, actually upcoming <laughs> this weekend. Uh, great educational resource, highly recommend. Um, the thing that I really did a lot in my downtime whether it was in clinic and I was such a weeb uh, when I first started practice, I'd go home and just watch lectures. Uh, so Sclera Lens Education Society, GPLI, uh, Woo University now, a lot of the resources that Jackie that you provide, there's just a wealth of information where you can learn things for free, to be honest, um, that helps. And that's what I would do. I would just watch lectures over and over again and, and new things to kind of hone my skills. But what really jumped was two things, going to conferences where I could pick the brains of people who are doing it all day long, because that's so rare. It's hard to get that many experts in a room at the same time. And they usually when you, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but usually when you go to these conferences, everybody just wants to share information. Like they are so excited to share information. So getting that wealth of knowledge was huge. And then just jumping into it, um, just, you know, whether it's right on the start, start with my staff, and then that first patient that comes in, put something on that first thing, that first patient, I'm thinking, uh, usually I would refer that, but you know, what? I'm going to take this on myself. And, and accepting, this is the thing that, that was the big turnaround, accepting that those first five to 10 patients, I may not make money, because that's what you hear. It's such a big profit set. Right. And if you go into it thinking, I want to have a new profit center for my practice, that's where I see doctors fail because you have to love it. You have to want to do it. Like, I don't do a lot of other, I don't do a lot of BB, I don't do a lot of low vision. My, my partner does it, right? And God bless him. But he loves it. That's why he does it. He doesn't do anything that I do because he can make money off of it, I'm sure, but it's not his passion at this point. So I went into it saying, I'm going to invest a year or two years or whatever it is of saying, you know, yeah, I could make more money by selling, you know, a higher end frame or whatever else, but I'm going to see these patients. I'm going to invest my time and my money of getting better and better to the point where I know in a few years that now it will be a profit center and I'm going to be happier because now I don't need to see 30 patients a day. I can see four or five patients a day and build the practice that I want, but that's tough. That's, that's tough to do when you first start. And uh, I think knowing that that's the kind of practice modality we wanted of not having a high volume, but a low volume of a specialty niche when we started helped us kind of get to the level. I, I have found that the scleral lens fitter community is so welcoming and wanting to share information. I remember when I first started fitting these, I had, I was following Tom Arnold on social media. So I knew who he was and he lectures, you know, a lot with, about talks about scleral lenses a lot. And I went to this conference, I forget which one. And I just happened to sit down and I sat down right next to him. And I was like, I'm just going to introduce myself because I like follow him on social media. And he was the, he is the nicest guy. I still email him like random things. Like, 
I just feel like that group of people, there aren't that many in reality of like scleral lens fitters. I presume I'm, I'm guessing this, but I just feel like everybody really does want to share information and make um, other doctors, you know, more proficient at fitting them. So you're, you're, you're right. There's so many good free resources um, on how to teach, you know, people how to fit scleral lenses. It's wonderful. So I don't know if you know this. So I practice in Houston and my, my original location is in Sugarland. It's five minutes from Tom Arnold's old practice, okay? And I was telling a good buddy of mine who was a, another big uh, contact lens guy, went to a contact lens residency. I told him, hey, I'm thinking of a opening a practice dedicated to this. And he's like, you're opening this to Tom Arnold? What are you thinking? Like, well, that's crazy, right? Because he's already well-established. So I was like, yeah, it'll be fine, you know? And I opened the practice. The first doctor to come and visit and take me and my partner out to dinner was Tom Arnold. And he knew that I was going to do scleral lenses and keratoconus. He took us out, uh, talked to us for a while. He's like, hey, I know you're doing this, but you know, just gave us tips and advice. And he's like, there's enough patience for all of us. And he's been a mentor and a friend to this day. Um, and uh, that, that's how close-knit this community is. Because he did not, not only did not think, think of me as a competitor, he thought of somebody that he could nurture not enough nice things I could say. Oh, that's awesome. He is such a nice guy. I have a similar story in a totally different state where a neighbor clinic who was a, a similar to a time on a very well established in scleral lenses. And I was like, I don't know why, but I'm having trouble figuring out how to bill for these. And I was, you know, an, I'm an associate at this practice. I don't want to lose money for my for the owners of this practice. And it was sort of like, oh my gosh, what's going on with the billing? And I remember I reached out to Tom Arnold, of course, and he was like, let me put you in touch with my biller. So my my biller called his biller. Like this is taking his time away by just, I'm a no person, I'm no one to him, you know? But then at the other, the other clinic, uh, who was literally like right down the block was like, come in and you can meet my biller and I'll talk to you and I'll show you what I do. I mean, it, we're technically competitors. I mean, not really, cause I wasn't that good, but like, it was just like, so nice, you know, like people are just, there, there is plenty of patience. Like we can all watch each other grow and succeed and be, you know, better. And our patients are better for it, for that sort of community. So it's wonderful. I think just in general, dry eye, you know, scleral lenses help patients with dry eye. And that's exactly how I felt when I wanted to learn more about dry eye was I went to everything, read everything, met the right people. Um, and it really helped, helped me. And now, you know, in, in the clinics that I've been in, in the past six years, the support from optometry has been overwhelmingly positive. And I, I actually lean on my cornea specialists, optometrists for certain things. And, you know, she sends to me for certain things. So it's been really cool to just see that um, network and not be viewed as a competitor because we're all kind of in it together. <laughs> These patients aren't the easiest patients to take care of. So since we're, since I, we did sort of talk a little bit about the billing, we won't dive too much into it because I think that's a whole nother topic, but in our last like few minutes here, can you talk about how you have found some success in billing? for scleral lenses. I do remember my personal experience having some trouble with that, but um, any tips for a, a person who's starting out on how to set themselves up for success there? Yeah. You know, for dry, it's tough. And I will say there, so there's two different ways you can bill for scleral lenses in optometry, right? We have vision plans and then we have medical insurance. And I said those things on purpose. 
vision plan and medical insurance. Um, so I haven't found too many vision plans that actually reimburse for dry eye specifically. There are certain codes you can use. And then you have to think about how do you justify if they come back later on and say, well, why did you use that code? Is it so to each its own. There are codes for certain carriers that you can use to get reimbursed initially, but just think about what happens when you're in the face of an auditor and saying, why did you use that code instead of this code? So just think about it. As far as for medical insurance, um, you can bill the evaluations, right? So your E&M codes, um, any diagnostic, um, diagnostic codes are certainly appropriate. I have found that the codes that are for scleral lenses, which is 92313, which is scleral lenses that's not for typically not reimbursed by a medical insurance. So what I have found best is to, this is what we do now, if it's for that specific reason. We'll have the patient come in for our traditional dry evaluation, and we'll do our E&M code, all our traditional diagnostic, um, diagnostic imaging, um, whether it's mybography, um, intersegment photos, osmolarity, whatever you're normally doing, MMP9, whatever. Do that initially, and then talk about the options. Say, if you think a scleral lens is the next best option, our team will actually find out if that code is covered. Let me save you some time. I've yet to find that 92313 has been covered for a dry evaluation. I just haven't. Um, there's, there's one caveat to that. I'll get to that in a second. So I always say, Get the ABN, um, let them know your evaluations and imaging and everything else can be covered by medical insurance, but this and this is not, and specifically material. Um, one thing that's helped is having an office finance. So we use things like care credit and we used to use Sunbit, we don't anymore. Uh, that can help to offset the cost. I have recently in the last two years decided to do in-office financing, which most most uh, credit card terminals can allow you to do these days. So they can split it, uh, split it out over six months, whatever your office decides. I've decided that these patients usually need this. And I don't want the costs to be the problem. And I don't want to discount my services or the materials to do it. Uh, we do a lot of work for these patients. We put a lot of our time, a lot of our soul, a lot of our heart into it. And the issue is usually not, they don't want to pay you. They just can't pay you all at once. And so I've taken it on our practice itself to give them an option. I'll finance it for you. You can pay me how you need to. And it's been great. Uh, I haven't had really any issues with that so far. Again, it's only been a couple of years. It's a high risk. I risk to do it, um, but again, we have terms of big hearts and we can't help ourselves. I think that's helped have a lot of patients make that dive in, especially younger people, for sure. I think there's a lot of studies been showing is it's not the issue of you know, paying out several thousand dollars. It's that I don't have it up, right? People buy iPhones that are a couple thousand dollars. They paid over 12, 24 months. You can give them their life back. It should be worth a couple thousand. If you, can, if you can spend it out. And then going back to medical insurance, aside of ABN um, and uh, you know, regular commercial insurances, the other way you can get around it is with Medicare if you're a DNEC provider. And this is not my area of expertise. I'm not a DNEC provider, but I looked into it. 
there is coding that you can do as a DMEC provider for Medicare that can um, reimburse for ocular surface disease. And there's, um, if, you, if you go onto the Sclerolens Practitioner website, there's a few doctors that comment on this a lot. Uh, you can get reimbursed fairly well for the evaluation, or sorry, for the material side of it and the evaluation of this kind of your EM and diagnosis. So that's what I say. If you want the least amount of headache, you cash pay and then finance it yourself. Not finance it, but offer a payment plan. And most patients have been very accepting of that. And then if you're really head on to do medical insurance looking to be a DMEC provider, if you're doing a vision plan reimbursement with certain codes that are semi-dry diagnosis, uh, you can get paid. Just be aware of, just think about what happens when, let's just say another eye doctor comes in and says, how do you justify it? Just be prepared for this. Not saying that it's not uh, appropriate, just be prepared to defend it. How do you do your in-office financing? I, I think that might be a whole nother podcast, how you set that up. Uh, no, no, it's pretty quick. It's um, our, our terminal service allows it. So they put in their credit card information and you can just auto-populate. Oh, you know, um, Jackie, this reminds me of a couple of years ago when we were talking to Carly Rose. Remember yeah. she was talking about how she had those package deals and she, she was doing something similar to like a subscription for her dry eye package, I remember. It's actually a brilliant idea because you're absolutely right. Cost is always the barrier for everything related to dry eye, you know, in office treatments. And it shouldn't have to be uh, you, you, it's either you have the money or you don't. And, and you're right. People, it's not that they don't want to pay. It's just that oftentimes it's a lot of money that they're, they weren't even really prepared for when we're telling them. And so I think it's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really helped. There's so many other services that did it. And then I guess our frustration came where, okay, whether it's CareCredit or SumBid or any of those services, scratch pay, and they weren't getting approved. And I was like, you know what? They're motivated. These patients are motivated. You know, they need a lot, they need some help. And I'm gonna be that lifeline, their help. And, you know, I, I said I'm gonna give it a couple of years and look at it. And if I get screwed, I get screwed and I'll take it away. But uh, if they, if I can provide them help, that they just have the cash up front and let me provide that resource for them. And I, I haven't been burned yet. I'm knocking on wood for you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, this, this has been very, very helpful, insightful. I knew it would be, I, I actually, I do want to give a shout out to your social media. So your Instagram is really amazing. All those cases that you post there. So can you tell people where to find you if they want to follow along? Oh, that's sweet. I always thought my social media is kind of rudimentary, but I, I do I do my best as an owner, I guess. Uh, yeah, so uh, my IG is uh, nithp 23 I, I probably should think of a different name at some point, but uh, that's all I got for now. But I do post a lot of cases, uh, whether it's growth okay, dry eye or scleral lenses. That's probably where I get most of my feedback and questions from doctors nowadays. So feel free to message me as well. Uh, at NFP23, my Facebook is my name, Lay. Same thing on LinkedIn, my email and cell phone. I always provide to any doctor that want it. It's, uh, my email is drpalay at evolutioneyeyecare.com. My cell is 832-289-6301. I mean, I'm, I'm really open to all my... <laughs> Tom you Cicali. just blasted that to the metaverse. Uh, like every lecture that I, do, <laughs> I, uh, I put it out, um, 
I've never regretted it. I love talking to my colleagues about these topics. So feel free to reach out to me however, however we desire. And, um, you know, a lot of my patients, like I said, are referred from other colleagues, but just talking about these stuff, or if you need, a, if you need help on a case, if you're not even if you're not referring it to me, uh, that's the stuff that I get up in the morning for. So I love it. So don't feel free to, don't be afraid to reach out to me in any of those ways. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. I know you're solo parenting right now. You've got a sleeping daughter, so I'm glad she stayed asleep the whole time, but thanks so much really for, for taking the time just to talk about this. We, I, I really enjoyed it. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. Great job for everything you guys are doing. Thank you so much. everyone. I just wanted to clarify one part of the podcast where I'm discussing medical billing for sclerolenses, uh, specifically for Medicare. The actual appropriate term is DME, a dural medical equipment provider, DME provider. Those are the Medicare providers that can actually bill Medicare and get reimbursement on the material side. So just want a quick clarification on the acronym and, and the terminology is a DME for a Medicare provider that's durable medical for the to the point wrap up. Remember when dealing with some challenging corneas, ocular surface disease, and unhealthy patients, scleral lenses are a great option. And you don't have to fear scleral lenses. There's a lot of great resources out there and a lot of great products to really give you that hands-on approach as you are learning for yourself. So when all else fails, phone a friend. There's so many great scleral lens experts out there, like Anith, that you can lean on. And don't be afraid to email or call. But the best thing is taking the best care of your patient, whether that's something you can offer or you need to lean on a colleague and friend in your area. But remember, scleral lenses for those tough, dry eye patients, the keratoconic patients, and maybe patients who've suffered injuries. 